We are technically in the second week of our Easter liturgical season, and, and um, every Sunday when we come to church, we, we are coming on Sunday because we celebrate the resurrection, which happened on Sunday. But particularly in the season of Easter, we're, we're focusing on the way that God has brought that which was dead back to life in Jesus. Um, and so as we prepare to hear our reading uh, our scripture reading for today, you'll notice that it's an Old Testament text, and yet we are still listening to the way that God brings life out of death. So listen now for the word of God from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 30, through chapter 12, verse 7. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Uh, his son's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from the house of your father to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Abram went according to that which the Lord said to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he went out from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, the son of his brother, and all the goods which they had acquired and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram crossed over the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and the Canaanites then were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. And he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, we couldn't have been much older than seven or eight years old when the vision struck us. My, my closest early childhood friend and I were playing in the woods behind the tennis courts. That's their name. We call them the woods behind the tennis courts. Brian was dribbling a basketball, as he did more often than not, when we came to a clearing. And it was a clearing that we had certainly visited before. We played in the woods behind the tennis courts a lot. But on this particular day, something was different Maybe the light was shining through the trees a bit differently, or possibly we had reached the point in our short lives where real ambition was possible, and for the first time, we were experiencing something like dreaming of a future. In either case, the ideas kind of flowed out of our brains and into the universe, and we were filled with this rush of excitement and hope and belief Brian and I were going to build a basketball court. 
right there in the middle of the woods behind the tennis courts. Never mind that we were seven, that the woods were private property, that neither of us had access to a cement mixer or hardwood flooring. We had dreams. We had ambition. We had a future. And hoping in our dreamer's ambition, we creatively named our glorious future Friendship Court because we were friends and it was going to be a court, uh, at least in theory. In actuality, Friendship Court was a daydream in the minds of a few distractible kids. Even being unreasonably gracious, it was as unlikely to materialize as we were likely to decide that playing in the creek was more fun, which I think we did. Uh, and as far as I can remember, we, we may have gone home to one of our houses and gotten a broom and gone back to this clearing in the woods and swept the leaves off of the dirt floor in anticipation of the massive construction project that was certainly going to take place. But that, if my memory serves me correctly, is as far as Brian and I ever made it on the journey to Friendship Court. And in the end, with a hint of fleeting disappointment, we settled for our present, unchanged and unchanging though it may have been. Why can it be so hard to finish all of the stuff that we set out to accomplish? How is it so common that our ambition can end up as disappointment rather than as a magical basketball court in the woods or whatever your ambition may be for? Why do we have to feel like we are stuck in our present with the future just out of reach? Have you ever felt stuck? In our story, no reason is provided in Genesis 11 to explain why Abram's father Terah decided to move from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. But we can assume that there was some reason, something about Ur must have been more appealing than something about Canaan. I graduated from college in 2007 from Georgia Tech, and uh, it is now 2012, so five years. Every single year since I graduated from college, I have packed my stuff up and I've moved even if it's a quarter mile, I've moved from one house to another house, or I've moved from one state to another state, um, or one neighborhood to another neighborhood. And so five years running, I know all too well at this point that moving is not really an ideal hobby. We don't move for fun or simply for the sake of moving. We move because something will be better, at least in theory, in our new life than it is in our present I never once moved thinking that my new life would be worse than my present. The decision to move, for me at least, has always been a decision to improve. And if it's the case that I keep on moving, then I'm probably revealing a little bit of something about myself in that. Um, but the fact that the author of Genesis records this seemingly insignificant detail about Abram's father deciding to move from Ur to Canaan might have something to tell us as well. Terah, Abram's dad, wanted to improve life, as any of us do when we move. For himself, maybe for his family, maybe for both, we move to improve. Now, maybe Terah was hoping to shorten his commute, or maybe he had just gotten 
a raise and could finally afford to move into one of those appliance-friendly tents that they were advertising in Canaan. Regardless of what it was, Terah must have seen Canaan as a better life for himself and for his family, and so he rounds up family members who are willing to go, and they hit the road to move to Canaan, riding the winds of ambition. As it would turn out in the story, though, Terah's winds must not have been incredibly strong. The text says, they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Again, no reason is given, just the facts. What is clear, though, is that Abram's family has set out on a journey for a particular future, for a particular place, but has settled, quite literally, for a stop along the way. The next and the last thing that we hear about Terah is that he dies in Haran at the ripe old age of 205 years old. Abram presumably is left there, stuck between his past and his future, with a dead father, the son of his dead brother, and his barren wife, Sarai. Now, two weeks ago was Easter Sunday. We gather on Sundays, as I mentioned, for worship because of Easter. Easter is literally the beginning of the Christian faith. We are a people who literally live by the claim that God raised Jesus from the dead. That is our identity. But we must not miss the last word, dead. Because in order for Jesus to have been raised from the dead, Jesus must have died. There is lore at Columbia Seminary of a visiting German theologian named Margit Ernst Habib. Um, She was a German woman who married a Palestinian man. And they hyphenated their last name, so Ernst Habib. Um, Margaret, apparently, and I wasn't there when she was there, but she was apparently convinced that Americans did not take the reality of the tomb seriously enough. And so she took it upon herself to remind us that Jesus was actually dead. He hadn't gone into a cocoon like a butterfly, but he was laid in a tomb. Because as Professor Ernst Habib said, Jesus was dead, dead, dead. At the end of Genesis 11, this is Abram's story as well. According to the scriptures, it had been 10 generations since the debacle at Babel, 20 generations since the flood. Abram's broken down family, it appears, is simply following suit in a humanity that just can't seem to get it right. We may move to improve, but life often ends up staying the same until finally we settle, and then, like Tara, we die. When I was in college and in the fraternity, we had a cook who just recently retired after 20 years of serving our fraternity as a fraternity house cook. If you can believe 20 years in that job, that's unbelievable. But I lived in the house for two and a half years, and every morning I would wake up, and I would go downstairs, and I would find Gene in the kitchen, and I would say, how's it going, Gene? And I'll edit this for church, but without without fail, every day, Gene would say, same stuff, different day. (laughs) Just a few weeks ago, when Gene retired, the fraternity had a party to celebrate his service, and I went to this party to see old friends and to see Gene off, and... Um, 
found him in the kitchen as usual and went in and said, hey, Gene, how's it going? And you can imagine Gene's response, same stuff, different day. Gene was stuck. As long as I've known him, Gene was stuck. And it was comical to a point, but Gene was also, whether he knew it or not, giving words to what many people experience every single day of our lives. Gene knew what Abram faced at the end of Genesis 11, and what many of us suspect or fear, that even though time moves on and we with it, we are always shaped by our pasts, we are always stuck in our present, and we are always longing for that improved future. Do you ever feel stuck? Something inside of you longs for Canaan, but for whatever reason, you can't seem to get your donkey out of Haran. I imagine that this is the scenario into which God must have spoken in Genesis 12. Abram may have been willing to settle for Haran, disappointed though I'm sure he was, but Yahweh, so far in the narrative, hasn't proved to be a settling kind of God. The chaos of Genesis 1, the disobedience of Genesis 3, the wickedness of Genesis 6, the like-mindedness of Genesis 11. None of them was good enough for God's creation to stay in. This God free to make the divine presence known and equally free to be elusive, seems to always show up in the midst of human stuckness. And so we will pick back up at the beginning of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from the house of your father to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Abram's future as it will turn out is in Canaan, the land that his family had already aspired to but had gotten stuck along the way. Abram's dad had died a stuck man and most assuredly Abram would share that fate with no descendant to hope in for the future, if it was not for the resilient grace of this God. Abram's future is in Canaan, but it is not a future that will come as the result of planning or ambition. And it won't come because Abram is particularly qualified for the calling. The only indication that this particular book gives as to the reason for God's calling of Abram is that he was stuck. The author, for instance, goes to great lengths to tell us that Noah was particularly righteous, at least when compared with the rest of his generation. But Abram, it would appear, according to the scriptures, that Abram didn't even know who Yahweh was prior to hearing God's voice. And yet, this mysterious voice speaks a new future into Abram's life. Not Abram's future, God's future. And God's future for Abram isn't just for Abram, but for all the families of the earth. And if God's future is for all the families of the earth, then God's future is for your family and for my family. Do you ever feel stuck, longing for your future, 
but can't escape your past. I would invite you to listen for the promises of God. Abram must have just been listening, waiting for this opportunity because when God speaks, Abram doesn't respond by speaking. He doesn't even seem to think. The text says that Abram simply goes from his country, from his kindred, from the house of his father. Abram goes from his past and from his present. Abram goes according to the promises of the Lord, and so must we. For the promises of the Lord are not intimidated by our stuckness. They are not intimidated by unremarkable people or by barrenness or even by death. The promises of the Lord are the promises to do for us that which we will never be able to do for ourselves, to secure our place in a future that does not belong to us, but a future that can be trusted to be better than even our most fanciful dreams of a basketball court in the woods. In Abram's case, the destination was even the same. The only difference is that the first journey towards Canaan that Abram's family took was fueled by human ambition. But the second journey, the journey that ends in blessing for Abram's family and for your family and for my family, for all of the families of the earth, that second journey is fueled by the power and by the promise of Yahweh, God of the stuck. Last night, as I was finishing up working on this sermon, my my wonderful, brilliant, pastorally gifted girlfriend, Kristen, looked up from her book and said to me, Will, where are you stuck in your past and in your present? And I was actually stuck. (laughs) I'd like to pass her wisdom along to each of you and invite you to think about that question. Where are you stuck? in your past and in your present. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a job. Maybe it's in your faith or your sense of purpose or of self-worth or anything else. At least as I answer the question, I find that I am stuck in many of the same places that I've been stuck in for a long time. And my winds of ambition simply aren't sufficient to complete my journey to my desired future, to my Canaan. So I want to invite all of you to join me as we listen again together for the promises of God. We'll spend a bit of time in silence, and the silence will be broken by the promises of God from this passage. Go from your country and from your kindred and from the house of your father to the land which I will show you, to the future which I will show you. I'm not going to tell you exactly where it is or what it will look like. Just trust me. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you You will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse. Leave that part to me. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. If we continue to listen to the story of this God of the stuck, we will hear over and over and over again the promises of future and of hope. If you're desiring to hear the promises of God, I would encourage you to sit with those of us who are stuck. Find people in your lives who are stuck and sit with them and you will hear the promises of God. Like Abram was, we too can expect to be met by God precisely in our stuckness and called out of death and out of barrenness and into God's promised future. So may we, like Abram, go according to the promises of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.